0: Welcome to our Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon. We are both attorneys in the uh, Benefits Compliance section of NFP, and we, we have um, started this podcast in order to provide information on health reform and other benefits compliance issues for our clients. Today, we're going to be spending some time on an issue that's caused a lot of grief and heartache for employers over the past few years, and that is employer reporting. So we want to talk about it at somewhat of a high level, but hit on some very interesting scenarios we've seen with employees, with vendors, and the IRS. Uh, We receive hundreds of questions each month, and this is one that we've received a lot of questions on recently. So Chase, start us off with an intro on reporting. What are we talking
1: about? Right. So we're talking about those numbers that we've been throwing around the last few years, 6055 and 6056. And these IRS form numbers, 1094-C and 1095-C. So very quickly, this is the report that employers have to file if they are subject to the employer mandate, meaning they have 50 or more full-time employees or equivalents in the prior calendar year. If that's the case, the employer has to tell the IRS whether they offered affordable coverage to the full-time employee and their dependents, and that is accomplished through 1094 and 95 c 1094-C is the so-called transmittal sheet or cover letter, and then 1095-C includes information on the individual employee and the offer of coverage. In addition, a a copy of the 1095-C or a similar statement must be distributed to the employee. When we're talking about all of that is 6056 reporting, and that's the internal revenue code section where that requirement is found. When we say 6055 reporting, that's the requirement for a self-insured employer to report all individuals covered under the plan, um, including dependents, and that's generally accomplished by completing part three of 1095C, which just lists the dependents in the months they had coverage. Um, the forms have to be filed by February 28th if the employer is filing by paper, or April 2nd if filing electronically. And then the copy of 1095C must go to the employee by March 2nd of this year. That was a delay that the IRS put out. But that's why we're talking about this right now as those dates are coming up. We're seeing a lot of employers scrambling, trying to make sure they get these filing obligations taken care of.
0: So, Chase, we had the tax reform bill passed in late 2017 that repealed the individual mandate. And I know a lot of uh, people have, have assumed or uh, hopefully probably assumed that it negated the purpose of these employer reports. What say you?
1: Yes, that's right. Um, This has been a big point of confusion for employers, and many have thought that the individual mandate repeal means that the reporting became unnecessary. I say that is not the case. The reporting is still in effect and is still important, and that helps get to the point here on why reporting is still necessary. It's important to remember uh, really two main things. First, the individual mandate is still in play for 2018, so we mentioned it has been repealed by this tax reform bill. That's not actually in effect until 2019. So the individual mandate still matters for this year. Um, The IRS has an interest in knowing whether the employer offered coverage to individuals who say they qualified for a a premium tax credit. And that's another reason why this reporting is important. Um, The other is to enforce the employer mandate, which is still in effect. That's what we just talked about, offering coverage to full-time employees if you're a larger employer. Um, That's really the bigger thing going forward here. Large employers have to offer this affordable coverage, and the IRS needs to know whether that happens so that they can assess penalties if it didn't.
0: Okay, so this sounds simple enough. I say tongue in cheek. Where does the heartache come in?
1: Yeah, so this has caused a lot of heartache for a lot of employers over the last few years. And we all have a little heartache in our lives no matter what, right? Uh, But there are a few areas uh, of reporting that really give employers a shot to the heart. Those include completing the forms themselves, knowing all the right codes for the different situations, engaging with vendors and dealing with the back and forth with vendors. That's another issue, another shot to the heart. And then the ultimate heartache, which is getting a letter from the IRS saying, based on your reporting, Mr. Employer, and on some other information we've gathered over here, you potentially owe a penalty for not offering coverage or offering unaffordable coverage.
0: So let's start from these letters because they've certainly been a, a, you know, an area of contention for many of our clients. Let's, uh, let's talk about those letters and, and uh, delve into that, please.
1: Yeah. So we covered this in more depth a few months ago when we first started seeing these letters on our podcast. Uh, but the IRS has been sending these proposed penalty letters to employers regarding potential liability for the 2015 year. So that was a long time ago, it feels like, 2015, but that was the first year that employers had to comply with the employer mandate. And at the beginning, or what turned out to be the middle of 2016 because of some IRS delays, employers had to file their reports for the first time. Towards the end of 2017 is what we mentioned just a moment ago, the IRS started sending out letters saying that based on those first reports that employers were filing, And based on some information from the exchanges relating to premium tax credits, we think you, the employer, owe a penalty of anywhere from $120,000 up to over $4 million. And we've seen letters with those actual numbers. Scary. Yeah, that's a lot of of moolah. Um, So what's interesting is that the IRS proposed penalties, a lot of those were based on reporting and so that's kind of where we're getting to here. There's a box on Form 1094-C that asks whether the employer has offered coverage to at least 70% of the full t- their full-time employees for the year. Remember back in 2015, 70% was the threshold. That's since gone up to 95% for years after 2015. But either the employer or the vendor had not correctly checked that box, essentially. So the IRS having information on one or in some cases two or three employees of that employer that had gone to the exchange and qualified for a premium tax credit. The IRS basically says, you self-reported, employer, that you didn't meet the 70% threshold. We have the penalty trigger over here with these one or more uh, premium tax credit employees. So you owe us a penalty. So for the IRS, this is very low-hanging fruit. Uh, There's no need at that point for the IRS to review all of the employer's 1095Cs. They don't have to look at payroll records at this point to see who was working full-time or part-time hours. No need to perform affordability calculations. It's just, wow, you self-reported this mistake. Or or I'm sorry, you self-reported that you didn't offer coverage, which may have been a mistake. But now we have the trigger to assess this penalty. So we've seen many employers have responded to those letters and have been able to show that they actually did meet the 70% threshold, Um, but it's just low-hanging fruit for the IRS. They're able to come in and send a letter just based on a reporting error, basically. So, and we
0: saw letters that were coming from either having checked that box incorrectly or leaving that whole section blank, and they just presumed, the IRS presumed the worst. And so, you know, when we look at these types of mistakes, let's let's get down to the brass tacks and talk about, from a practical standpoint, are is the employer the one typically doing this reporting? Are they engaging vendors? Um, You know, and how has that changed over the past couple of years?
1: Yeah, let's get down to that. Actually, completing these forms Uh, that first year when. Uh, as an industry we were all sort of seeing this for the first time we were trying to wrap our heads around lines 14 and s- through 16 these codes 1a through 1f uh, yes 2a through 2g what what does all this mean our heads were all spinning um, so employers were thinking whatever I can do to offload this I will do because I just can't handle it it's too much for me uh, but what maybe none of us anticipated at that time is that Uh, vendors who were taking this offload from employers, they didn't always know what they were doing either. Um, Some of it because of their own fault and some of it because there was a lot of ambiguity around some of the reporting codes and the reporting rules. So everybody was making mistakes. And in some cases, that's led to these IRS letters we just talked about. Since then, the past two years, we've seen a kind of a mixed bag some employers stuck with the vendors again because the vendors are already connected with the IRS. They can file more quickly if it's electronic because they're dialed in with the IRS system. Um, they have a year or two, uh, year or two more under their belts, understanding the codes, the data input processes, and so forth. So the interaction has generally been better between employers and vendors. That's not to say it's all roses, though, Susanna. No, it's Valentine's this week. Not all roses. <laughs> We've worked with a multiple of employers that are still experiencing issues with vendors and not trying to bag on vendors here. It's just the nature of this reporting beast. Lots of moving parts, lots of ways to get turned sideways. But some of the issues we've seen are vendors putting in wrong codes for certain situations, maybe using 1A instead of 1E in a situation or using the wrong affordability safe harbor code, whatever that may be. Another issue has been vendor deadlines. Vendors want to have everything wrapped up to distribute to employees or file with the IRS. And so their deadlines may be tight. That leaves a little bit less time for employers to review what the vendor has put into these 1095Cs. Um, so just the time frame that the employer and vendor are under sometimes leads to short turnaround times for employers to review, some, in some cases, hundreds and hundreds of these 1095Cs. I think maybe the first year employers didn't review those as closely, since they were new to it and they were trusting the vendors. Now with those IRS letters going out, many employers are double checking. They're really scrutinizing every 1095 C, in some cases for every employee and in every situation. So you're looking at, you know, if you have an employee out on a leave of absence, maybe you only have three or four of those employees, but you're really going back and making sure that that's reported correctly. Same with waiting periods or measurement periods. but getting back to those vendor deadlines, I was on a call yesterday with an employer where the vendor admitted that there were mistakes on the forms at this point, uh, but that they wouldn't have time to correct correct them before having to distribute to employees by March 2nd. So again, this gets back to the deadlines. That deadline to distribute to employees is March 2nd. In this case, they don't have to file with the IRS until April 2nd um, because they're filing electronically. So the the vendor was basically asking the employer the question on whether they want to distribute timely but incorrect, ten ninety five Cs, or untimely but correct ten ninety five Cs. So that's obviously a tough spot for the employer.
0: Well, you know that's a good segue, Chase. Let's talk about that good faith effort uh, penalty relief. What is that? You know, when does that come into play?
1: Yeah. So this is a great point. Um, the good faith penalty relief is something that came out the first year with the reporting that basically said, hey, employers, if you're doing your best, you file forms on time, but there are some errors. We're not going to penalize you for those errors. The IRS guidance on the relief does say that if the employer has made reasonable efforts to comply, and that can include engaging a vendor to assist, and the error is because of the vendor, that in some situations the penalty relief could apply. However, and this is a big however, the good faith effort relief does not apply to employer mandate penalties themselves. So there are separate penalties if you don't report uh, on time, and uh, that's a separate penalty from if you didn't offer coverage to your full-time employees under the employer mandate. So even if the employer can explain away the reporting error and not have to pay related penalties, that doesn't excuse them from penalties associated, associated with not offering affordable coverage to full-time employees.
0: So could one lead to the other?
1: Yes, absolutely. And that's uh, a reporting error could lead to an employer mandate penalty assessment. And that kind of takes us back to the original issue we discussed was these IRS letters. Because errors were made on reporting, employers could potentially pay employer mandate penalties. Had it been reported correctly, maybe they wouldn't have gone down that far of the road with the IRS. Now, as I mentioned, the letters from the IRS are just that. They're the letter, a proposed uh, penalty. And so the employer is able to go back and discuss that with the IRS. And in lots of situations, we've seen the employer successfully defend themselves and the penalty eventually went away. But it's just the idea that a misreport can lead to a letter that allows the IRS to sort of take another look under the hood. And that's kind of a scary prospect anytime you get the IRS.
0: Um, yeah, it cer- you know, and it certainly leads to the whole issue of whether you have good records. So it, it leads Absolutely. back to the you know the the good uh, business practice of having solid records that uh, show that the offer of coverage was made and what type of offer was made.
1: Yeah, that's right. So keeping records on payroll, whether you so you can show that somebody was not necessarily a full time employee if they waived coverage. You want to hang on to waivers, affordability calculations, making sure you have. Uh, W-2 information or rate of pay, whatever you're basing that on. Great point. That's a a big takeaway.
0: So uh, do you think that there's any hope of simplifying this whole reporting methodology?
1: Perhaps. And you touched on this briefly on our last podcast, Suzanne. There is a bill introduced in Congress that would simplify reporting. Uh, It seems like some of the information that is required now seems uh, a little bit of an overload. Why do there need to be three codes for affordability, for example? Couldn't they just have one box that we could check saying it was affordable and then have the IRS ask for details if they come across an individual situation? Is there a way that the codes could be simplified? Um, So all of that definitely is under discussion. We'll have to wait and see where that bill goes. Uh, We read just this week, though, that um, there's discussion in the House about a potential delay or repeal of the employer mandate. Again, we hear lots of these rumors, right? Maybe lots of ideas being discussed. Who knows what will really happen?
0: Don't take it to the bank yet.
1: (laughs) Don't take it to the bank yet. Not until we have something formal. But basically, these GOP lawmakers uh, in the House have had conversations with the head of HHS and other members of key committees. Part of the discussion is retroactive relief to prevent employers from being penalized for employer mandate failures back to 2015, That gets a little bit more difficult and complicated now that the IRS is out there enforcing and collecting tax penalties from 2015, but you never know what will happen in Congress, so we'll just have to keep an eye on that.
0: Very interesting and very timely. So I know that's been uh, keeping our email boxes full this week with lots of questions on employer reporting, so we'll definitely keep an eye out and continue to report on uh, both uh, any simplification in the employer reporting and certainly if there's any type of elimination in that employer mandate or reduction in penalties of any sort. So watch for the Compliance Corner on updates on these issues. And Chase, we thank you for discussing that topic with us today. Of course. And as we like to say, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us.